Yeah, absolutely. That's another big difference is typically you have to come in with, with cash. And if you don't have cash, a lot of people use what are called hard money loans and hard money lenders are in the business of lending money to primarily real estate investors and fix and flippers a lot of times. Um, I do sometimes use a little bit of that. So there's actually a, a local guy that lives in the same city um, that lends a lot in Indianapolis. And sometimes I use him to fund deals. There's two that I'm doing right now that he's helping me with. This one in particular, um, I was able to fund it primarily through a private lender that I have. So that's another way to fund deals. So if you have friends and family, that you have a good relationship with and you offer them an opportunity to invest on one of your deals, um, that can be really attractive to them. So I do have a private lender at a fixed rate of 10%. So I, I will share how much I'm paying this person. Um, and then the rest of it came out of my home equity line of credit, which Welcome to Real Estate Deal Closers with Annette Tali, where we focus on the deals. Our guests are real estate closers who will share in detail the whole process from finding a deal to closing it, as well as strategies and tips to help you do the same. Here is your host, Annette Tali. Welcome to another episode of Real Estate Deal Closers. I am your host, Annette Tali, and my guest today is Ernesto Hernandez. Welcome, Ernesto. Good morning. Thanks for having me. I am super excited to have you. We've been connected on Facebook for a few years, I think, at least two. And I've been watching you grow. You have an amazing community uh, of out-of-state investors. And, uh, you know, I, I love to have you on the show today. Um, so let me tell you a little bit about Ernesto before we start. He is based in Walnut Creek, California although he's a native of the Bay Area. He has been investing primarily in Indianapolis market for almost three years, starting with a buy and hold in the Monterey Peninsula of California. Ernesto has now done a mix of birds and mostly fix and flips from afar. Ernesto has helped build a thriving community of investors in Indianapolis, and in particular, and he gets particular joy for helping anyone young and hold take their first steps toward, towards real estate investing and spends the majority of his time coaching people in that niche. Amazing, my friend. So tell us, how did you get into real estate? Well, before we go into that, I, I, I just wanted to quickly say, um, I'm excited to be on your show in particular because there's not a lot of women in real estate and there's even less Latinos and Latinas in real estate. So when you asked me to come on and share my story, I was super excited. Uh, and when you mentioned coaching, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't charge for anything that I do. I, I enjoy helping people um, and, you know, out of the kindness of my heart, so to speak. So um, want to just clarify that, but yes, happy to be here. Uh, in terms of how I started in real estate, uh, it was kind of an accident. Um, the first property I ever bought was, was a property from my mom, actually. Uh, I really wanted to help my mom buy a property that was always her dream. You know, we are first-generation immigrants. I'm a first-generation immigrant. Uh, English was not my first language, which surprises a lot of people. And as a, as a young man, hearing your mom say that, you know, it's her dream to own a home. I really wanted to help her do that. So we did that in 2013. Uh, we went half and half on the down payment. One of the mistakes that we made <laughs> was that we just assumed that we had to save 20% down to buy that property. So we probably 
waited longer than uh, we should have. But that, in hindsight, you know, it was kind of a feel-good thing for me. And what it has now allowed me to do is there's a healthy amount of equity just based off the appreciation, which now gives me a home equity line of credit that I can access. And that really helped me kind of get started investing out of state, which I started a few years ago, more intentionally. So that's kind of the story of how that all happened. That is amazing. What an amazing song, really, you know, that's awesome. Like your mom should be super proud of you. And I was going to say so. like, it was a bad idea, but at the same time, you know, you save money on PMI, you know, and that your mom is set up to be more successful because if you put less money down, then the payments would be higher. So, you know, there's pros and cons for everything, but that's awesome. All right. The deal. So let's get into the deal. What deal are we talking about today? Talk about a recent one. This deal was in a town called Canby, Indiana. It's southwest of Indianapolis itself. And this one happened in the fall of last year. So pretty recent. I have some others that are currently um, at different phases. There's three others that I'm working on right this minute. But this is a recent one that was closed. So this was a fix and flip in the town of Canby, Indiana. Awesome. Uh, I'm going to start with like the price or... Yeah. So what type of asset is it? Is it like an A, B or C or D class? It's a great neighborhood. I would say it's uh, definitely a B. Great, great schools. So Indianapolis, like the city itself, um, if, if you look at a map of the city, there's like a circle highway system that goes around it. Mm -hmm. So they call it the loop. And typically as you leave the loop, um, the towns get really, really... Um, better. So high quality, great public schools. Uh, and this is one of them. So uh, this is the town of Camby, again, Camby, Indiana. And I would say it's at least a B, definitely not a C. Some might consider it an A, but I'll, I'll say B. So great, awesome. great city. All right. And so how did you find this deal? This is through a relationship that took me, took me a while to, to work. There is a wholesaler that that I knew of, and that wholesaler doesn't do a lot of volume. Uh, his name is Ryan Dossie. I think he's based out of Florida now. And we've been exchanging messages for years. And, um, you know, when, when I went to Indianapolis, I try to, I try to visit every six months or so just to uh, continue to kind of develop relationships and check in on projects and things like that. And I met with his partner who really runs everything uh, in town. And we had a, just a really, really good dinner discussion uh, and got really, really clear uh, about how we can work together. And shortly after this deal came from him, but uh, getting, you know, because Ryan doesn't, he doesn't wholesale a lot of his, he does a lot of marketing. That, that's what he's known for, mm -hmm. but they keep a lot of them. And so there's really not a lot that are available to, to, to purchase, but it was from him. And that relationship, I would say it took at least a year to really kind of get in a position to be able to be on his list. That's awesome. And, and for people that are new and are just listening, what is a wholesaler? Good question. So a lot of people assume that you can only buy properties through like a realtor and uh, a realtor will help you find properties that are that are on the market. So they're either representing the seller or they're representing the buyer. Um, a wholesaler targets homeowners directly and then they agree on a price 
And the idea is that you want to get it at such a low price that you can then sell that contract essentially to somebody else. So I bought it from them for um, $117,500. That was the price of it. But I know that they had the contract for less uh, with the seller directly. So that's how they make money. They, they, again, get into a contract with a homeowner and then send it out to people like me that are looking for, you know, fix and flips and rentals. And so realtors never get involved. You're not going to see this on Zillow. So it's a completely different way of being able to buy direct to seller uh, properties. Awesome. All right. Okay. So you found it through that. Like, so when you deal with wholesalers, there is not a lot of negotiation in the price, but sometimes there's a little bit of a, of the, um, maybe a little bit of a discount. So on this deal, were you able to um, get a discount or you had to just pay the price that they gave you? Yeah, good question. So sometimes uh, sometimes you can negotiate it. Uh, I have negotiated in the past. There was a different deal that I bought in July through a different wholesaler and their asking price on that one was, I think 90,000. And after a little bit of back and forth, we settled at 75,000. So can you um, negotiate? Sometimes in this case, it was such, it was such a good deal. And it was such an easy rehab that I didn't really want to take my chances by getting too aggressive. And I knew that somebody else was also very interested in it. So um, I didn't really negotiate too much um, because there was already, it was already a good deal as as it was, and I didn't want to pass it up. So right. not not a not a good example on this one about how to negotiate. But again, there's others where I have done that. But but there is value in what you're saying because sometimes you know new people or even experienced people they want to get the best deal and then they lose it for like a thousand or five thousand dollars. So you know one thing that my mentor always told me is like when you are doing an offer and you are putting that price, like think about you know if you if you don't get it for like a thousand more or two thousand more are you going to be upset about it is it worth putting those like if you know that it's worth that much money you know why not just offer that money you know because you are going to be competing when you're dealing with wholesalers you're competing with other investors and the investors know the value of the property so sometimes you know you just one, if you really like the property and you know your rehab is, for example, in your in your case, your you knew the rehab was going to be small, so you could pay the the, the price that they gave you. Uh, but you know, so just keep that in mind. Always, you know, make sure that that you are doing your best offer at your budget, and then then the numbers work, of course. But um, you know, sometimes it's worth paying a little bit. On my first property, I counter like I think it was like twenty thousand more than. Uh, what the initial offer was because I knew the property was worth that. Yeah, I totally agree. I think it depends on a few things. One, right now, there's not a lot of supply in general. Mm -hmm. uh, nationwide, we know that supply is super duper low. It's historically low. And so there's just not a lot of deals out there, period. And that goes for like Zillow or the MLS. And that also goes for, for wholesalers. So um, I think it depends on the cycle of the market that we're in. And right now, it's not a lot of volume. So if you pass up on it because you're trying to get too aggressive with your negotiation, you might regret it. Uh, I had another scenario in the spring of last year where I was selling a different flip and a seller offered me a certain amount of money. I forget the exact offer. And I countered at like, I just wanted like another like $1,700 <laughs> and they backed out <laughs> and then I lost that deal. And then the next offer ended up being much lower. And I'm thinking to myself, man, I negotiated like, like that, that $1,700, which was like, 
it was more of like my ego. I wanted to be like the last person <laughs> to negotiate and the deal fell apart. So that that's a good lesson that that might work for some people. And wow. I would say too, so some people have this opinion of wholesalers where like as a buyer, like if I'm the end buyer, I'm buying it from the wholesaler, I feel like I should make more money than the wholesaler. So sometimes mm -hmm. people have ways that they find out how much the wholesaler is making on the assignment fee and they get upset. And I don't, I don't think that way. I think if, if there's enough, if it's still a healthy deal for me, whatever they did to negotiate that price down, good for them. Like that, that's not, that's not my issue, but some people feel differently. Some people are just adamant. Like I should make more because I'm taking more risk. And that's just not, not my view on that. I totally agree with you because also think about it. Like they spend hours days finding those deals and that save you time you just got the deal ready and a lot of good wholesalers they will underwrite it for you and tell you the arv uh, of the property and so you know obviously you gotta verify but you know they will give you a good analysis that you can use and verify so you are saving a lot of time and efforts because they are doing the marketing you're not doing the marketing and spending the money on marketing so absolutely if the numbers work for you it doesn't really matter how much they are making it doesn't all right so how did you pay for it or did, were you able to finance it tell us about this because you know working with wholesalers is not the same as working with a realtor yeah absolutely that's another big difference is typically you have to come in with with cash and if you don't have cash, a lot of people use what are called hard money loans and hard money lenders are in the business of lending money to primarily real estate investors and fix and flippers a lot of times. Um, I do sometimes use a little bit of that. So there's actually a, a local guy that lives in the same city um, that lends a lot in Indianapolis. And sometimes I use him to fund deals. There's two that I'm doing right now that he's helping me with. This one in particular, um, I was able to fund it primarily through a private lender that I have. So that's another way to fund deals. So if you have friends and family that you have a good relationship with and you offer them an opportunity to invest on one of your deals, um, that can be really attractive to them. So I do have a private lender at a fixed rate of 10%. So I, I will share how much I'm paying this person. Um, and then the rest of it came out of my home equity line of credit, which goes back to uh, that property that I bought with my mom. So uh, the home, home equity line of credit for anyone that's not familiar, uh, you know, yesterday on my Instagram story, I shared, you know, what a home equity line of credit was. And I actually got a lot of messages. People were like, wait, what? I don't have to refinance my property. I said, no, you don't. It, it, it's, you take the equity in your house <clears throat> and then the bank will typically let you access approximately 80% of the equity you have and it's like a credit card. Like when you pull from it, you pay interest, but it's super low. I think right now I'm paying like three and a half percent interest. It's crazy low. And then when I pay it back, like it's like, it, again, it's like a credit card. I'm not paying interest on it if I'm not using it at all. So uh, it's a combination of those two things that help me fund this deal. That's amazing. And yes, a HELOC, it's an amazing way to acquire property, especially on flips, because you know that you only need this money short term. You're going to be selling it and then you can pay off your HELOC. Uh, but I use my HELOC to buy a property, um, a buy and hold. It was a low interest. I was able to actually refinance my HELOC because once the... Um, the property went up in value, I had more equity. So I was able to go from principal and interest to just uh, interest only. And so my payments went down to half. 
Um, and you know, a lot of banks don't even charge you for closing. It's like basically a free refinance. Uh, you don't pay for closing and they give you money. What, what else can be better than that? <laughs> yeah, and I think, well, part of the, like the other, like part of the power of the HELOC is that typically hard money lenders will fund approximately, and this, this, this can change, but I'd say approximately 85% of the purchase plus the rehab, which means you have to find the other 15%. So if I'm doing a property that is, you know, it's going to cost 200,000, uh, the hard money, hard money lender is going to let me borrow. What is that? 160? No. Uh, 170. You know, they'll let me borrow 170. That means I have to find that other 30,000. So if they're giving me 170, I just have to find that other, you know, that, that gap. So some people call it gap funding and that's where the HELOC can come in. So that's how literally when people are like, can you fund deals with zero to no money down? I mean, technically it's not really your cash. It is your HELOC and you have to pay it back, but it's not like, I don't, it's, I, but, I don't Yeah, see but cash. it's not money that you're taking out from your, your, <clears throat> excuse me, your bank account. It's money that they are giving you as a credit card, this credit. So, you know, that's how people get zero person, zero money from your pocket. You're using other people's money. Uh, yeah, that's amazing. Awesome. So private money and the HELOC. Great. All right. So, yep. so what's your strategy? And we know fix and flip. How long do you keep these properties? And, you know, what's your cycle more or less? It really depends. And it depends on the, the amount of rehab um, and also kind of the days on market. So on the front end, you should have your realtor that's going to list it for you, give you their analysis. I know that we can do our own on like Redfin and Zillow, but uh, we're not local experts. And so, uh, you know, my local realtor gave me an approximation for how much we thought it could sell for. And, you know, based off comparable sales in the neighborhood, how long we would be, you know, expected to hold it for. And based off what we saw, the number that we guessed for resale, we were pretty much spot on and it was a very low days on market neighborhood. So we looked at the, the, the more recent, very similar sales in that specific neighborhood and things were, things were going pending in typically under 14 days, uh, which happened with us. Even we went under contract in less than seven days from the time we put it on the market. One of the things I like about this deal and why I took it on is because of just the price point, how quickly properties that are similar to it sold in that neighborhood and the little amount of rehab that that was required to to update it so from the time i closed on buying it to the time i closed on selling it, it was only 50 days which is super quick like it's hard to really do anything much quicker than that so in this case that's how long it took i would say most people kind of the average that they throw out they would say you're looking at closer to 90 days typically your rehab is going to be a little bit more it's rare that you have a property really as clean as as the one that that i had like we didn't we ended up not having to paint i thought that we would but when my contractor came in he was like i think we can match some of this paint and make it look you know basically good as new and we did that so super super quick easy rehab and for that reason we were in and out in 50 days which is um like again it's hard to get faster than that. Awesome. <clears throat> I am always fascinated by, by flips. How do you use the same materials on every flip that you do, or do you change it up? It depends on the area. What's your, your input on that? Yeah, good question. Uh, I like to go by the phrase that says uh, success leaves clues. So you, you can look at the other properties that sold. Uh, what did they sell for? How long were they on the market before they went pending? 
and what kind of finishes did, did they use? So I like to look at kind of what the market is telling me to do. If I'm looking at comparables and everybody's got granite countertops and stainless steel appliances and brand new cabinets, well then that's probably what I'm gonna to have to do to, to get a similar value, but that's not always the case. And that's why you have to really closely look at the comps on a more recent one that I'm currently pending on on the sale right now. You know, when we looked at the comps with my realtor, a couple of things that we decided, so I actually had a Zoom call with my realtor uh, and my contractor, just so we can collaborate as a group. And one of the, really two of the decisions that we made was one, we could salvage the cabinets. We thought we were going to have to do new cabinets. And my contractor said, no, I, you know, I, I'm really, you know, experienced with, with cabinetry. I know we can bring these back to life, which we did. And my realtor showed me a similar property that he had sold for a different client. And he agreed. He's like, these cabinets remind me of this listing. Let's look at it. If we do the same paint scheme and get new handles and hardware, which little pro tip, hardware is super cheap on Amazon. <clears throat> like there was a set of handles that I bought to, to open and close the cabinets. And I got a pack, like all the ones that I needed were like $25 delivered with Amazon Prime. That's that literally same exact design at Home Depot and the amount that I needed would have been like $200. So it was way cheaper. Wow. But again, we were able to keep the cabinets. We thought that we wouldn't. And I, I assumed that we were gonna have to do brand new stainless steel appliances when the other comparables, some of them did not have appliances at all. And some of them had used appliances. So I, I went to a used, used appliance store and ended up spending $600 on appliances rather than 2,200. So looking at other comparable sales will, will give you an idea for what level of finishes you're gonna have to use. Amazing, that is great, great advice. And the same goes to rentals, right? When you're pricing your rentals, you, you gotta look at what the comparables are, uh, what other people are offering so that you can price it the right way with the right appliances and finishes um, for renting as well. All right, that is awesome. Productivity hack. So let's talk about uh, the next segment, which is uh, your productivity hack. So what have you done in your business uh, that has taken you to the next level? From a software perspective or like an app, uh, there's an app that I, I love called um, Notion. Notion, it's a little techie, it's a little techie, but there's just so much that you can do with it. There's like, you can build spreadsheets in there. It's almost like a notebook that you can put other notebooks in. So uh, if some people like to journal, some people like to have a book reading log, some people like to have a habit tracker, um, you can have all of that incorporated into Notion. What I also love about Notion is that it's cloud-based. So I can access everything from my laptop. I can hop on my phone. Um, or my iPad. So it's super centralized. It just, it, it, it for me has become just a central hub for me to upload everything uh, and so many different aspects of my life are in there. So I'm a huge fan of Notion. Um, the other thing that I would say is there's a lot of people that approach, um, you know, there's a couple of Facebooks that, Facebook groups that I run and a, a lot of people as a way of networking, you know, they, they reach out, hey Ernesto, how can I add value to you? And the answer is 
you know, I'm happy to give you some of my time, you know, we'll hop on a call, I'll help you through some of the issues that you're having. In exchange, can you help me manage certain aspects of my Facebook group? And so it becomes a win-win. You know, they're, they're, they're getting something valuable for free, I'm not charging them, and they're getting something super valuable in return. And it, I'm just asking for a little bit of their time to help me manage certain aspects of my life that I don't, that I don't really enjoy. Um, so those are a couple of hacks that I'll throw out there. That is awesome. And I am going to take that advice. You know, I'm going to, I'm going to do that because I do get a lot of people <clears throat> reaching out and, you know, and, and I do uh, have phone calls, but it takes a lot of time. So, you know, my time is limited. So if I'm spending it helping people, then I won't be able to, to get other stuff done. So that's amazing. Ernesto. Yeah. We love have, it. Yeah. So we do uh, we do clubhouse calls on, on on Monday for one of our groups, uh, remote real estate investors, and we'll do clubhouse calls. And we have a, a note taking person, and and they rotate. And there's other tasks that we have for them, but they've kind of raised their hand. Hey, I want to volunteer. In exchange, yes, I would like some some private time to ask some questions. Uh, and it's been a really really good relationship. Nobody feels like they're getting taken advantage of, and it's fair both ways. Absolutely. Expert tips. All right, so let's go to our three expert tips segment. And so Ernesto is going to talk today about three expert tips on investing out of state. Yeah, this is a great question. I put a little thought into this when I got your email. Um, one of them is, and I don't hear that many people mention this, I would say build your team first. So what I see, you know, I got a message yesterday, hey, Ernesto, I'm under contract on this property. Uh, do you know a contractor? Do you know a lender? And I'm just like, uh, that's that's not a good situation to be in. So uh, my tip would be build your team first so that you have your team ready when a deal lands in your hands. Uh, the second tip that I would give that, that's going to help you with tip number one is really get clear on what you want to do uh, it's easy to get shiny object syndrome and it's easy to go from, oh, I want to buy and hold. Wait, no, I want to flip. Actually, I just learned about Airbnb. The faster you can get clarity, <clears throat> just get really, really clear on what it is you actually want to do, then you'll get clear on what pieces of the puzzle you're going to need to execute that that plan of yours. So really get clear. And there's so many people that I talk to that that have no clarity. Uh, yeah, have no clarity. Even as it relates to flips, a lot of people are just like, oh, well, I just want to flip and I just want to make about $25,000 per deal. Uh, there's so much more that goes into that uh, in terms of like really honing in on your criteria. Imagine going to your realtor or wholesaler, hey, find me a flip that will make me $25,000. Like there's so many other elements to that. So getting clear is super important. And lastly, I would say don't assume. So one of my favorite books I ever read was uh, The Four Agreements. And one of the four agreements is don't assume. And it literally happens probably once, once a day, one of the four agreements pops up in my life. Um, Monday, it came up on, on, on a clubhouse call. Uh, this morning, uh, I got a message from somebody on, on Facebook Messenger. We had a conversation a couple of weeks ago. He was struggling with what to do with, with a rehab. And I, I gave him my advice. And I'll, what I picked up is that he was assuming a lot of things. And this morning he sent me follow-up pictures and he's progressing. He's like, specifically, he said, I want to thank you because I was assuming so many things. And when I stopped assuming and started asking very specific questions, we started to get a lot of progress. So those would be my three tips. Build your team first. Uh, make sure you have clarity on what you're going to do and kind of what your criteria is around that. Uh, even for you in multifamily, I'm sure, I'm sure you're not 
hey, does anybody have a multifamily with an eight cap anywhere in the country? Like, okay, okay that's that's extremely broad. You're going to have to get a little bit more clear uh, and then don't assume, don't assume those are my three. Absolutely. You know, I just did a presentation for a summit. It was pre-recorded and one of my steps was define your niche and your focus, because if you don't know what you want, then you're not going to get there, right? Like you're, you, you can be doing so many things, even though it's, you know, it's tempting, right? It's tempting to, to do that because you, you see something and it's interesting. And I'm like, oh, I want to do that. Um, but anyways, like at least when you start until you don't, you know, like you set up like kind of like your main business. And then maybe once you have all these figure out and running, then you can start looking at other things. But if you try to do everything at the same time from the beginning, it's not, it's just not going to work out. <laughs> All right. And I want to, I want to uh, ask you about building your team, because I think you are right. A lot of people don't uh, talk about that, how important it is. And, you know, right now I'm actually looking at property that is, uh, it's in Florida, but it's not where I am. And as soon as I, I, saw this property, it was interesting, I drove by the area and then I'm like, okay, I need a lender, I need a property manager, I need all these things that I need to start setting up quickly because I am really interested on the property. Um, and, you know, I had already calls with three different lenders because that's what I'm going to need right away. And I already have some scheduled calls with a lawyer and I have, a, you know, a scheduled call with my accountant. So, you know, you got to have your team ready to go when you find the deal. So what would you say would be the best the, or the most important team member to start with? In general, I would say it's going to be a property manager. You know, a property manager is involved in so many different elements of real estate. A property manager should ideally have a broker in-house. And so that broker is going to help you with determining, you know, valuation, um, you know, they should be able to run CMAs for you, a comparative market analysis for anyone that doesn't know, or some people call it comps. So they should be able to help you out with that. You know, they typically have experience running rehabs. They have very, very intimate knowledge of like what neighborhoods present different opportunities. I phrase it that way because a lot of people are like, well, what are the good neighborhoods and what are the bad neighborhoods? And I don't think there's, I think there's strategies for each. Like you can be successful in kind of lower income, maybe higher crime neighborhoods. I'm personally a huge fan of the section eight program and there's certain neighborhoods where that's going to do well. So a property manager can do so much for you uh, between, yeah, I would say in, in general, like a lot of, a lot of it can come back to, to a really, really good property manager. Absolutely. I love that. And that, that's so very important, especially uh, when you are doing it out of state like you, right? You know, you need somebody there for sure. It's not even a question. <laughs> yeah. And there's, and there's, there's a couple of different ways that you can incentivize them. Um, I, I just, I me mentally think about uh, a really, really good property manager in uh, Indianapolis. Uh, they're a team called FS Houses and they have, they have agents in-house that, that sell homes and they also are a property manager and they do rehabs. So, you know, if I'm bringing an opportunity to them, hey, can you help me get evaluation? Cause I want to flip, they can help you and they're incentivized to do that. Or, hey, I'm looking at doing a rental. You can potentially have them be your property manager. There has to be something in it for them, but that's a good example of a property manager that can do a lot of different things for you. It's kind of a one-stop shop for helping you get clarity. Awesome. All right, Ernesto, where can people find you online? 
The best place is probably Instagram, uh, Ernesto Hernandez. I think my handle is uh, hi, I'm Ernesto. It's kind of a reflection of my friendly demeanor. So <laughs> uh, I, I need a website that'll, that'll come soon, uh, probably. But for now, the best place uh, that I'm accessible and somewhat active on uh, is going to be Instagram. I'm on Facebook too. I'm in a uh, couple of groups, Indianapolis out-of-state investors. If you specifically want to invest in Indianapolis, that's a great place to go. And then we, you know, a couple of buddies and mine started um, remote real estate investors. So, you know, not limited to Indianapolis, but a lot of the similar principles. So in one of those three places, you're bound to find me. And you provide a lot of value on those groups and on Instagram as well. So make sure to follow Ernesto and, and join their groups, his groups, uh, because, you know, I've, I've watched a couple of your presentations uh, and they are amazing. Lots, lots of value there. So make sure to, to follow him. And if you're enjoying this podcast, don't forget to subscribe to the channel and, you know, or save on iTunes, our podcast. And thank you for being here with us. And uh, until the next time. Thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you for being here. This was Real Estate Deal Closers with Annette Talee, brought to you by Talee Investments. We hope that you enjoyed this episode. Our goal is to provide amazing value on your real estate journey. Connect online at www.taleeinvestments.com, where you can find this episode and more. Did you like this episode? Subscribe, like, and share.